It's the history of football we knows about And we want to expand what we know We'll become such intelligent gentry With every kick-to-kick show Beginning in the time 1870s Right through to the modern day Tune in for Timmy Coops and the Kazmaz To hear what they all have to say Welcome to a special edition of the Kick to Kick podcast. That's it's, right, welcome. It's Tim, Charlie and Kaz. We are here to, uh, to for a special NADOC week episode. Yes. Charlie, would you like to kick us off with an acknowledgement to country? I would absolutely love to. So we would like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land upon which we are gathered, the Yalakut Willem clan of the Bunurung people, and pay our respects to their elders past, present and emerging. We acknowledge and uh, uphold their continuing relationship to this land. Great. Thank you. So we decided um, for NADOC week we would release a special episode focusing on and celebrating a lot of the Indigenous players that we've had uh, in the early days of the game. Yes. Um, and we thought what we might do is look at the Indigenous pl- the first Indigenous player from each pl- each club. Yeah. Um, which is an interesting study in itself um, for several reasons. Um, one, yeah. obviously, the history we're reading is written by white men. Yes. An overwhelming majority of it, yes. yes. So we're, we're reading some of the history about these people written by from a white man's perspective in a world where white laws are the ones that are governing. Yeah, because a lot of this stuff was written in yeah in a time before the 1967 referendum and lots of different yeah, things. Yeah, a lot of these players and some of the early ones we'll talk about were. So um, obviously none of us are Indigenous. No. Um, so... I mean, we, we're not the experts. No, absolutely not. I, I don't know if there's any... We're using any, what we can find. Absolutely. From um, our perspective. But not as non-Indigenous people telling an in, Indigenous men's story, um, obviously we're not the experts. No. And, it's and a, we, we pay tribute to them. It's a delicate balance, isn't it, of wanting to share this knowledge, but also mm. we are not the holders of these stories. We are, we mm. are hoping that maybe this continues a conversation and allows... Mm. Um, people to learn more and but yeah uh we do not want to take ownership of these stories either no yeah we what we want to do today is celebrate those people. yes celebrate, absolutely and we talk so much you know we've we've just had um doug nichols round only yeah. recently this year and we talk so much about celebrating the uh um the indigenous uh perspective of our game and how much indigenous players and have given to this game that we love yeah um and talking i think about the people who we're about to speak about these first players who broke new ground and trod new ground and really stepped into a, a space that wasn't you know available to a range of people and was at a lot of times i imagine extremely uh, volatile Absolutely. um mm is a great way to pay tribute to to what we now have and 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 also looking forward to the future to hopefully uh, even better things coming. Yes, absolutely. Mm, well said. Um, and when we talk about Indigenous players, I mean, everyone knows your, your Polly Farmers, your Michael Longs, Nicky Winmars, all, all the, the big ones probably from the last 50 years. Yes. Um, we're not going to mention any of those names. No, today. not yet. Uh, a lot of these players will, will quite possibly be players that you have not heard of. Yeah, mm. which is which is great. what we want to do. Is we want to celebrate. Yeah, uh, these these players. Um, so we're gonna we're gonna go through this sequentially mm. uh, in terms of the the, de- the debuts. Yes. 
Yeah, so when, yeah, starting with the earliest Indigenous player that we know of and yes. what and um, one f- for each club. club. Yes, yeah. yeah, and the ones, so uh, being where we're up to in our current podcast, which is 1962, we've just released. Yes. Um, we have not yet released... We haven't so hit we have, all we of them. we haven't got to expansion yet, so we're not going to focus on the expansion clubs, your West Coast, your Brisbane's, mm. uh, any, any of those clubs. We, we will eventually yes. when we do other specials in a similar way, but at the moment we're focusing on the 12 original VFL clubs. Yeah, the ones that are playing at the stage that we are up to in our yeah That's in right. our episodes. Yeah. yeah. So shall we kick it off? Oh, I'd love to. And I'm going to kick it off with Geelong. Now, obviously when you think of Geelong, you think of Polly Farmer, and um, he was the first Indigenous player... I believe, who played for Geelong in the VFL. Yes. But we're actually going further back than that. We're going back into the VFA days. So Mark Pennings wrote a... Uh, he wrote a big history of the VFA uh, a few years ago, and in that he discovered a player by the name of Albert Pompey Austin who played a solitary game for Geelong in the VFA. Mm. Um, so a lot of the information I've got is actually from a book by Roy Hay called uh, Albert Pompey Austin, A Man Between Two Worlds. Uh, because he wasn't just a footballer, he was a runner, he was an entertainer, he did a lot. Mm. Really interesting read. Um, he's, uh, his name is Pawnee Yariwari, and he was born in the, uh, the Farmlingham Mission, which I think I believe is out west, uh, like near Warrnambool, Portland sort of area. Mm-hmm. Um, and so the game he played... Uh, it was a game between Geelong and Carlton, the first game of 1872. Wow. And it was, yeah, and it was said that Carlton had two worries in this game. The first was Tom Wills, who was playing for Geelong that day. Uh, and the second was Pompey Austin, Austin ah, who had won, I believe, one of the gifts, like the Ballarat gift, or uh, he, he'd won a race yep. very recently and had this reputation as a very fast player. Um so in the lead up to this game, uh, Tom Wills was you know supposed to be there, but he rocked up quite late, and this is quite late in his life as well. So he'd done a lot of football and, and kind of rocked up and played a game. Um, the opening exchange of this game was pretty brutal, and Pompey didn't do much to start with. He was kind of standing back because the football at this stage had no real rules. That's right, yeah. Um, it was a bit of a rolling maul, suddenly stacks on the mill. Um, there's an extract here where it says suddenly the ball is extracted from the stacks on the mill and fired out into Pompey's direction. He bent to pick it up but was poleaxed by his Carlton opponent. Uh, and that's kind of the end of his influence on the game or what was written of him in this game. Yeah. Also interesting to note that he didn't wear any boots. He played game in barefoot. Wow. Uh, which I think was mentioned in a report in the paper at the time. I don't know. Okay. Uh, so yeah, without boots. And that was the only VFL VFA Game, game he played. That's astounding. And so, before VFL days, yeah, massive. Yes. So, quite a while beforehand, he was a footballer, cricketer, athlete, uh, possibly a boxer, racehorse owner, jockey, horse thief, artist, explorer, savant, and entertainer. Amazing. So I've only just got his book, which is really interesting. Really looks good. Uh, and I'm, I'm working my way through it, but um, to have that come to light more recently as well is really interesting. Yeah. Yeah, so um, so his parents, Charlie and Alice, were two of two identified ancestors of the Eastern Ma, recognised as the traditional owners of much of southwestern Victoria. Incredible. Yeah, mm. and he passed away, I believe, in the eighteen eighties. Mm. And so this this book that's been done by um, Roy Hay has been really interesting because having to track back 
through time to try and find this information. Yeah. yeah. Um, you, you look at how thick this book is. It's quite interesting. It's quite amazing that he's been able to find that much. All that much. Yeah. yeah. 250 pages. How incredible to think that there's, you know, and when you think about the next player who we're going to talk about who is recognised as the first VFL player, like we're talking 40, no, more than that, fi- almost 50 years. Um, but, yeah. Not quite. Almost. Not really. No? No. 30. Okay. Yeah. A long okay. time. Okay, but still, 30 years. Yeah. Substantial yeah. amount. Huge. Yeah. Uh, so that's <laughs> so, Pompey Austin. Really, amazing. Really interesting story that has only just come to light. Um, the second player is one you may have heard of, Joe Johnson. Yes. yes. Fitzroy player. He played in 1904. No, I remember oh, sorry, that episode. Okay, yeah, I thought it was yeah. the 20s. There you go. That, that was exciting, that episode. I remember we brought him up. That was very good. Yeah, so he is player number 92 for Fitzroy. All clubs have like their player mm, capital. Yes. Sorry. Player number 92. Um, but here's a, a, there's a really interesting fact I found out about him. Um, considered by the VFL as the first Indigenous man to play. However, some recent research done by Barry Judd seems to suggest that he was never actually referred to as being Indigenous. So, at the time. At the time. So this um, re- relates to the newspaper articles written of him. Yeah. Um, and any, anything to do with him does not mention his Indigenous heritage. Mm. Um, so there's some speculation whether he deliberately hid this because of obviously society yes. or sounds like it. M- maybe the writers of the paper did that. I'm, I'm not 100 mm-hmm. percent sure, but um, when this was discovered, it was more publicised. Yes. So he was a dashing halfback turned half forward who starred in the club's 1904 Premiership side and was a forward in the 1905 Premiership side. So two-time Premiership player, uh, but he was much much more. He was a pioneering footballer, born legendary legend has it in Newcastle. In 1883, um, his family originated in Melbourne and they moved back there. Um, and he played football for fun. He joined Northcote in the VFA in 1903, and then from there he caught the eye of recruiters at Fitzroy, which we know of. Um, so he made his debut round one, 1904, against Carlton, uh, side side by side with legends like Billy McSpearan and Ern Jenkins. He was a highly regarded halfback flanker in Fitzroy. A quietly spoken fella who kept to himself. He just played every week. <laughs> um, they won that opening game by 94 points. Uh, in the grand final that year, they took on Carlton. Reports have it that he was flattened by George Topping. Oh, yeah. yeah. In the first quarter, but recovered to play a key role in the the Maroons' win that year. He was judged second best player on the ground, according to the press. In the 05 grand final? Yeah. Nice. In, in the 04 grand final. 04 grand final. Yeah. Um, he eked out 38 of a possible 39 games in two years. He was a dual premiership player. And then he stepped away from the team. He went and captain coached Brunswick for a while, taking them to the 1909 premiership flag. Hey! Uh, and then the next sort of part jumps to the war. He went. He enlisted in the war and fought in the war. Oh, wow. Yeah. Um, he saw action in Egypt and France, but then his health suffered in Europe and was given a medical discharge in 1917. Um, and his own family played a bit of an extended role in the Indigenous football history as well. His son Percy played for North Melbourne. His grandson Percy Jr. played with Hawthorne, and his great grandsons Robert and Trent played with Fitzroy. No Melbourne, unfortunately. Wow. No. Yeah. Um, so yeah, that's Joe Johnson. An interesting story, especially when you read that stuff about 
um, how he was first thought of. Yes. Like he wasn't identified as indigenous. No. Whether that be his choice or... Or just... Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that might... And we didn't mention this, but that might have been the case. That there might have been more indigenous players. That we didn't know of, absolutely. Yeah, so, in yeah. lots of in lots of areas, they are, you know, doing research and finding out thing, uh, all those sorts of things and, and tracing histories back because, yeah, it often wasn't spoken about generation to generation. So uh, very interesting to find out. Yeah. yeah. Um, the next player we're talking about uh, is a man by the name of Alf Egan. Alf Egan, he has the distinction of being the first Indigenous player at two clubs. Oh, yes. Carlton and North Melbourne. So born on April 3rd, 1910, Alf Egan hailed from the town of Miami in Victoria's southwest, um, in a similar sort of area as um, Pompey, Austin. Yeah. Um, but little is known of his early childhood. He's listed as the 478th senior player to play for Carlton. Uh, he made his debut in, at Princess Park against Essendon in the third round of 1931. Named on the half forward, Egan kicked the goal in his first of the first of his 36 games for the Blues and uh, through the course of three seasons as a ruck forward for the team. He was part of the Carlton team which took the field against Richmond to contest the 1932 grand final, named at centre half forward. Uh, however, the Tigers won that game. However, Egan did earn some plaudits for his stoic performance in that game mm. uh, for whatever reason I'm not 100% sure why his tenure at Princess Park ended with Carlton's loss to Geelong in the first semi-final of 1933 at just 23 he saw fit to follow his football dream to North Melbourne where he would become uh, the 182nd player <laughs> for the Kangaroos he made his debut for the Shinboners in round 3 of 30, 1935 playing 6 games for the season which were all losses although he managed to kick 3 goals the following year, he played a further nine games and played in only one win, which was round 16 that year against Footscray. So Out. one win for North Melbourne. So by the end of 35 and after just 15 senior appearances with the Roos and 51 in the league, his VFL career was at an end. Mm. Little is known about his time away from the game, but it's known that in the mid-50s he was married uh, and he had a son, but sadly heart disease claimed his life at the age of just 51. Um, so his stats, he wore number 27 for Carlton. He played 36 games, 20 goals for them. And then he played a further, what did I say, 15 for North Melbourne. Mm. So that is Alf Egan. Mm. We're shedding some light on some of these players. It's great. Yeah. And, I mean, we, we, we spoke about that era. And we didn't, I don't remember mentioning him, so I'm glad we got time to go back and yeah. discuss him. Mm. Even um, with Bob Johnson, though, finding out a bit more of it as well. Yeah. Right. I'm going to talk again. You're not sick of hearing my voice. <laughs> no. Because uh, now I'm going to talk about uh, the first Indigenous player at Essendon, who was Norm MacDonald, who was someone we did mention we, quite a bit. Yes. yes. We spoke about him in our war episode as well, didn't we? Yeah, we did. I think you actually found some interesting yeah. information about him. And I th- was it that he had to lie about his age to get into the war? That's or? right. He was too young. Yeah. Mm. So he went and served in the war. So Norm Macdonald, uh, a Gunditch Mara man, made his debut for Essen in 1947. Uh, he is player number 607 for Essendon. Uh, he played 128 games, kicking three goals over six seasons as a halfback flanker. Renowned for his pace, strong marking and clutch performances in crucial matches. He won Essendon's Best and Fairest Award in 1951 and was the member of the back-to-back sides at 49 and 50. He was a multi-talented sportsman uh, and also an accomplished boxer and sprinter. He won the Bendigo, Wangaratta, Maryborough and Lancefield gifts and was a runner-up to the teammate Lance Mann in the 52 stall gift. 
uh, as well as being a pioneer in the inclusion of Indigenous players to the Australian rules, uh, McDonald was recognised for his contribution to his community for his fight against oppression and racism. Late in his life, he returned to Lake Condom Mission in southwest Victoria, which is where he spent a lot of his childhood, uh, to share stories of his life and his culture. Um, as I said, he was a paratrooper in the army. So he lied about his age to enlist at the age of 16. He fought in the army from 42 to 46. Um, his opportunity with football came when he was playing. He played football with the Geelong RAAF team in Belmont, and his career took off when he arrived at Essendon. Um, and that's, I mean, there's a lot to say. He won the Crichton medal. Uh, he wore the number four jumper and was recognised as a member of the Indigenous team of the century as well when that was announced. So that is uh, Norm MacDonald. Yeah. Mm. Uh, moving on, the next is a Melbourne player. Yes. By the name of... Uh, Eddie, Eddie Jackson. Jackson. Um, now, before we get to Eddie Jackson, though, there was some... Contention. Contention that, that there was another Indigenous player who had played for Melbourne. So, yeah, we... I mean... Are we, I don't, to, yeah, are we open to the idea that there's more that we... More oh, 100%. Yeah. yeah. But the, this one was an interesting one because it oh, was... It was someone called Simmons. George Simmons, yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, who was earlier than this, and they, they thought he was the first Indigenous player to play for Melbourne, but since there's been some speculation around whether he was actually an, uh, an Indigenous oh, person. Yeah. Um, so we don't know, um, I guess, but... I. It sounds. It seem. It sounds as though that it's. It is not the case. Yeah. So if if anyone has any more information about yeah, that, we'd, love to, yeah. we'd lo- absolutely love to hear that and get clarity around that. But mm. as far as we're aware, Eddie Jackson is the first uh, Indigenous player at the the Red and the Blue. Mm-hmm. Yes. So um, he played uh, between 1947 and 1952. Uh, managed um. 84 games, 10 goals, and was part of the 1948 Premiership team. Player number 672 with the Demons. Yes. So uh, he was a um, a tremendous ball handler and ball user, and he was a recruit from um, Echuca. Um, He wore number seven. Yeah. Great number. Uh, Is that now? Yeah. Yes, yes, Jack. Uh, yeah, so, uh, but somewhat inf- unfortunate in that if you think about those years, he played from 47 to 52. He fell between two of the greatest eras in Melbourne history, yeah. right in that sort of middle ground. Um, so he managed to uh, win a seat on the bench for the 48 grand final and, but, and played in the grand final replay, uh, which, um, if you remember, Tim, we overcame Essendon quite, quite, quite comprehensively. <laughs> yeah. um, so uh, one one of the first, as we've mentioned, uh, Indigenous players to uh, succeed at, Austra- at the Australian football's highest level. He uh, played, as I said, 84 VFL games for Melbourne and uh, then continued to play country football for many years after his retirement back in Echuca and uh, managed to win um, the best and fairest in the BFL, which is the... Bendigo? Bendigo? Yeah, some, around the Riverina. So he played for Echuca. Ballerina? No, not Ballerina. Okay. So he played for Echuca and uh, scored 25 points for the season. Um, one of the highest winning records of recent years at that time. 25 points. 20, or is in 25 oh, points in the, for yeah, the, yeah, 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 for the um, medal. Yep. Um, so he played with played every game with Echuca in that season. I think it was 54, uh, often taking the field despite injuries and sickness. Um 
possibly the deciding factor was um, two games before the end of the season, he played against South Bendigo and although suffering from a severe cold, still won the points for the best of field. <laughs> so I love that. Uh, yeah, so very good footballer uh, and yeah, managed to get p- part of one flag even though he fell between two three-peats, unfortunately. Nice. Uh, next player we get to is from St Kilda. Kaz. So Jim Wanden. Player number yeah. nine. So you got it? Yeah, no, it doesn't. Nine hundred and fifty. Whoa, we're getting up there. Um, last person born at uh, Corandirk Station, out there near Hillsville. That's that, um, that your way. Yeah, that's right. And Wandon um, actually is a town around there, so who knows? Um, the fresh-faced Wandon ran it out onto Junction Oval, wearing number twenty-seven. He went on to play just seventeen games over the two seasons before returning home to Hillsville. So there's a, a fair bit of um, description here of some of the treatment he received. It's a bit, it's a bit sad to keep on, but I feel like, you know, I'd, I'd like to, I'd like to say what's written here. Um, I, it's hard. It would be hard to paraphrase though. It's, it's pretty brutal. Um, so, but mm. we start with Wannan was a prominent figure in the Victorian Indigenous community and, and uh, was the great great nephew of William Barrack, ah, the famous wow. um, Gator. Um, tribal leader of the Wondry Willem clan um, the ex-saint eventually also became um, the leader of the Wondry nation and was involved in Aboriginal affairs with the Victorian government um, so his lifespan linked uh, Australia from a time to where the despicable practice and displacement of indigenous nations was rife into a new era where the game he loved and excelled at celebrated um, a dedicated Indigenous round. So, passed away in 2006 um, and obviously had a huge impact. Yep. Um, there's a, I think there's a quote of him saying he used to push um, his uh, brother and... My sister and me would help push the two boys around in a, in a pram. Um, so... F- uh, he found it extremely difficult in his first year. He never spoke about uh, when he came uh, about it when he came home. He never expressed his hurt or his sadness. But racism was rife then, absolutely mm-hmm. rife. It says, um, and um, so he and in the second year it was similar. Um, even contemplated not going back for the second year. And if Neil Roberts and Johnny James were still alive, they would both tell that um, that he should have continued and he would have easily been um, a, a, a medalist. Mm. So, and there's some, some other stuff there from, you must have notated this from a recording. Um, so it was a great football, outstanding at football. His name um, is known everywhere from the mountains to the coast, right down to Apollo Bay, where he coached for seven years. Um, so yeah, it's a little bit about Jim Wanden. Great. Cool. Um, all right, the next team we get to is Footscray, and a player by the name of Charlie Stewart. Uh, so Charlie's family, or Charlie's great great grandma, was an Aboriginal woman from Goomjanuk tribe at uh, Lake Boga. She married a Scotsman. His grandfather, Jackson Stewart, was a driver with the Cobb Co. and was actually the last coach driver and horsebreaker for that company. Oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> also a champion bronco rider. Um, Charlie first played football at Waiaia, living on a farm near Nathalia, which is near Echuca. In 1957, he was invited to train with Essendon and played 10 games with their seconds. Uh, in 1958, after the Bombers couldn't arrange the appropriate work for him, he played a season with Kyabram, where he won the flag and the best and fairest. In 1959, he made Collingwood's list. And they remember, 59, they were the reigning premiers. Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, but he chose to stay at Cobram. Um, then in 1960, he played at Lemnos. Both years, he played in flags. Oh, how good's that? Yeah. yeah. He played in a lot of flags in the country. In 1961, <laughs> he was walking down the street in Lemnos when Footscray's recruiting officer, Max Crawford, Croxford, pulled over and asked if he wanted to play for the Doggies. Uh, being Easter, Charlie wasn't very fit because he hadn't trained all, all pre-season, but Max told him to come down and try anyway. And he impressed playing against uh, Graham Ion and was invited to join the team and was hence granted a clearance. He made his debut at the in round one of that season against the Tigers, which was a 28-point win, making him the 487th Bulldog player. Oh, what a great story. Yeah. Uh, he played all games of the season, uh, including the grand final in 1961. Um, as an Indigenous player, he felt there was more attention from everyone with everything he was mm. he did being scrutinised. Yep. Um, and sad to say, he preferred playing in the middle because that was as far away from as possible. The crowds. The crowds and the racial slurs they would hurl at him. Uh, in round 18 of 61, he injured his hand. So he played all home and away seasons. He was rested for the semi-final against St Kilda, brought back for the prelim, and then played in the grand final in front of you know 108,000 people. Uh, and reckons he should have been put on Brendan Edwards, who was the best player for the Hawks in that game. Yeah. The dogs lost. Um, mm. Now, the club told Stuart uh, that if he wanted to keep playing, he'd have to give up his Bronco riding, because he was also a Bronco riding champion, just like his grandfather was. Oh, really? Um and he's like, no, nah, I like Bronco riding, so I'm going to keep doing that. So <laughs> he went back to Kyabram, kept playing in the country. Uh, he coached Kyabram to the 63 flag and won the Morrison Medal for the league, best and fairest. Mm-hmm. Um, and with a butcher by trade for most of his life, in the 90s he's changed careers and he secured a cleaning contract for the Olympics and his company employed 150 Indigenous uh, people oh, to help clean the Olympic facilities. Amazing. Yeah, so he did a lot for the community as well. Uh, so yeah, that's Charlie uh, Charlie Stewart. Charlie. Twenty games, four goals with the doggies. Beautiful and <laughs> lots and lots of uh, success in the country. Wow, yeah. what a river. and plenty of Bronco rides. Yeah, love that. Really. That's great. <laughs> uh, next player, we move to Hawthorne. We do move to Hawthorne, and uh, got a man by the name of Cyril Collard. So Cyril, a big uh, yes, big famous name mm. uh, down at down at the Hawks. So uh, yes, Cyril Collard. So started his career with Hawthorne in 1957. Player number 478. 478 for Hawthorne. Yes. Yes. Uh, so um, Cyril was. Uh, Noongar man in, from Western Australia um, and he was as we've said the first Indigenous man to play for Hawthorne. Uh, he started his foot- footballing career at uh, Subiaco and achieved uh, top three finishes in their best and fairest um, with both uh, top three finishes in his two seasons at the club uh, and before moving to Melbourne in 1956 good year to move to Melbourne with the Olympics Yeah. Um, and initially actually moved and trained with Collingwood okay um but chose to play with Hawthorne, yeah. as he would. Uh, but Subiaco refused to clear him, and he sat out of football for the 1956 season, uh, and then the National Football Council granted him the clearance for 57, which is when he started. So he played for Hawthorne for just 57 and 58, played 13 games and kicked three goals. Uh, and uh, after retiring he from footy, he became a professional uh, runner, and reached the finals with the stall gift as well. Nice. He, uh, while he was in Melbourne, he also he stayed in Melbourne and joined the Metropolitan Fire Brigade uh, in '58 and uh, retired in 1988, reaching the rank of senior firefighter. Nice. So he was with cool. them for 30 years. So just to the just the two seasons it should have been three, but just the two seasons with Hawthorne, uh, and uh, 
Yeah. And as you said, another great Cyril down at Hawthorne. Yeah. <laughs> now that moves us to South Melbourne, I believe. Ah, yes, it was. So, uh, yes, uh, Elkin Riley was the first Indigenous man. To and we just mentioned him in our 1962 episode. We did, yes. Yeah. yeah. For first Indigenous man to play for South Melbourne. So beginning his career in 1962. Uh, played with them for five seasons, 62 to 66, playing 51 games. Uh, so he was an Aliwara man. He was born in uh, Al, oh my gosh, Alpururulam, in uh, on the Northern Territory Queensland border. You did well, um, and uh, was part of was removed from his mother and taken to the Alice Springs Hospital. Uh, so that was in line. That saying here in line with the government policy of the day. Yeah, of course. So. At the hospital, he was actually considered too ill to be placed with the other children, and the doctor on duty, Dr. Pat Riley, uh, agreed to adopt him, and he and his wife Joan successfully applied to the Department of Native Affairs to remove Riley from the Northern Territory in order to take him back to Adelaide. Uh, So he attended school in Adelaide, the Ross Trevor College, and became a leading ruckman who, after leaving Ross Trevor, played in a lot of different country leagues. So he was a a star in the country and won two male medals in a row for being the BNF uh, in 59 in the Southern York Peninsula Football League while playing for Minleton, and then in 1960 in the Upper Murray Riverland Football League with Barmera Monash Football Club. So two different best and fairest in two different leagues in two years in a row. (laughs) Pretty incredible. Uh, so he was recruited by South Melbourne from the Sunraysia Football League uh, went, club Wentworth in 62 and made his VFL debut in round five against Fitzroy at Lake Oval. So over the five seasons, uh, Riley played 51 games for South, uh, teaming with uh, champion rover Bob Skilton to win matches in an otherwise very bleak period <laughs> for the club, yeah, uh, with one sports reporter claiming Elkin Riley is not a brilliant player, but his spoiling tactics are an important feature of South's play. Mm. Um, so unfortunately, a ruptured appendix ended his VFL career in 66, and he moved to Kahuna in country Victoria to coach. Uh, excitingly, uh, well, as a, as a great sort of... Um, continuation of his name Ross Trevor College where he went to school has honoured him by naming a hall and also a scholarship for Indigenous indigenous students after him Great. which is nice. lovely yeah. so again like we've talked about all these things going on you know there are things going on in mainstream Australia outside football yeah. and these guys still managing to become uh, beacons of hope for those around them yeah. and things is quite incredible did I tell you what player number he was? No. You said 400 and... Uh, Elkin Riley. Oh, eight, sorry. 859. 859. Love yeah. it. Yeah. Great. Um, that gets us to Richmond. Yes. Charlie. Oh, just keep on speaking. Fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so Richmond take, uh, takes us to Derek Pearden, who started in 1968. Player number 706. Beautiful. So Derek Pearden, born 24th of September 1950. Uh, he played, as we said, between 1968 and 1971 for Richmond. So early on, um, a similar story to Elkin Riley, at the age of five, he and his sister Annette were taken from their family on uh, Cape Barren Island and placed in orphanages in Launceston. So Tasmanian-born Derek was. A champion schoolboy footballer and a gifted professional runner, Pearden was the first Indigenous footballer, as we've said, to play for the Tigers. 
So in 65, he was selected in the All-Australian Schoolboys team. And in 66, he played for the Richmond fourth fourths Premiership side, as well as in the 67 under-19s Premiership and the 71 Reserves Premiership, which was his last game for the club. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so uh, he returned to Tasmania after his career in 72, and he played um, six seasons for City South, including Premierships in 72 and 74. And he also won two Best and Fairest awards, um, as well as the Northern Tasmanian Football Association's Best and Fairest in 73. So he represented the NTFA on nine occasions and Tasmania twice, and also played one season uh, for North Hobart in 1977. So one thing that, um, something, not the one thing, but something something that uh, they talk about with Derek Pearden especially is that during his time at Richmond, he played with Kevin Sheedy and had a very huge lasting impact on Kevin Sheedy. Sheedy's... Well, it speaks about he's the inspiration for the the Dreamtime game. For the Dreamtime game, exactly. And in 2015, I think he was honoured at the Dreamtime game. so wow. there's a great interview on the Richmond website that he that Derek did with Rhett. It's a 30-minute yep. audio, which is fantastic if you can listen to it. Uh, and and also there's a bit of an interview in there with Sheeds talking about how he was the first growing up in, I think she grew up Paran. in Paran, South Yarra. Derek was the first Indigenous person that, that Sheeds had met. And yeah. so he, he was... It was a, uh, an extremely eye-opening experience, and, and he says how you know Derek really was, wet his appetite for yeah, to, to learn and more. yeah, absolutely. And so, well, thank yeah, you. What an incredible um, uh, legacy! Legacy, yeah. thank you to to be part of that. Beautiful, yeah, fantastic. Yeah, uh, and that leaves one club we have yet to talk about, um, Kazman. That is Collingwood. That's right. W- with uh, Wally Lovett, Tim. Yeah, this play, must be a high number. Player number eight hundred and twenty-four. Ooh, so uh, came to the club in eighty-two, almost by accident. The Pies have been chasing another player fr- from Haywood near Portland, um, and when inviting him to training, asked him if uh, any of his teammates. Um, so this is of Haywood, if any of them were worth a look. And that player he nominated was Wally Lovett as a youngster. They should talk to him. So it was um, so it was that Wally Lovett was invited to Victoria Park in the, uh, for the 82 season. And such was the impression he made during that first preseason, um, most of which he spent commuting from Haywood for training sessions, uh, that he walked into Collingwood's team round two and kept his spot for most of the... Uh, the year that's no mean feat when you remember um, they just played in three grand finals <laughs> yeah uh, love it was a pocket dynamo on the field it says here he wasn't tall but was stockily built and strong and fast he quickly made a name for himself as a feisty rover uh, in the, the true magpie tradition of the time must be um, he loved a stoush loved going hard at the ball and knew where the goals were um could take a decent grab as well. All all those traits were on show uh, in his debut against Footscray uh, when he made um, when he made what one newspaper described as a fiery entry to league football. Within seconds of coming uh, onto the ground from the bench in the second quarter, he clashed with Kevin Kelvin Templeton. Oh, yep. um, what happened? Uh, he then got involved with Ray Huppets 
Uh, in the third quarter, he was um, reported for hitting Doug Hawkins, <laughs> though later got off. Uh, saved Doug Hawkins the last. Um, plus, the top off a dramatic debut, he gold with his first kick in league football. Oh, I love that. Uh, and then it says, um, from the age, uh, new boy Wally Lovett showed enough dash to suggest that there might be a genuine rover in Collingwood camp after all. If anything was designed uh, to uh, designed to win over Magpie supporters, uh, it was kicking an early goal and getting into a fight. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Love it. Um, yeah, so he was actually squeezed out of Collingwood as well. That whole trade war they had with Richmond. Oh. I think he was traded to Richmond as part of a deal when they were trying to get, I think it was Jeff Raines perhaps. It says later um, on here that he played 15 games, 11 goals, but it was that dysfunctional year. Yeah, um, and he was, he was kind Hayfie. of hurt that Collingwood had got rid of him. I think, oh, okay. Uh, yep. um, and yeah, he ended up you know, quite disenchanted with that and played, a, played it's a, sh- further, a further 13 games in three seasons. Oh, with Richmond, like you said, before heading to Brunswick in the VFA. Oh. Yeah. Mm. Um, and also interesting to note that uh, the Lovets are quite closely related to the Egans. So Alf Egan, who is yes. playing with Carlton in North Melbourne, I spoke about. Uh, and he's also related to uh, Lovett and Murray, who played for Essendon yes. uh, mm. about that. 10 years ago. Mm. Yeah. There you go. Um, so that gets us... That, that's all the clubs. That's all 12 clubs. Yeah, so... They are the first Indigenous players for, for each, each club, club yeah. that we know of. Them, like we said, as absolutely, there, mm. there might be other stories out there we're not aware of. And there's definitely more to all of the stories that we've just talked yeah, about absolutely. as well. Yeah. Um, but fascinating, as as we've all mentioned, you know, just looking at uh, what all these guys, you know, have done and what they went through, and and imagining, you know, what what Indigenous players are still going through. I mean, yeah. things are much better than they have been, but ev- all all the time we hear awful stories about what's going on. And, and we, we, we hear that story about uh, Wally Lovett playing with Collingwood and getting into a fight mm. as soon as um, as soon as the game kind of started. Mm. And a lot of that seemed to happen because of racial slurs and taunts yep. and things like that. Yeah. And there was that great that great article written about Robbie Muir, I think it was yes. last year. Yes, yeah. That won, well, I think it won a prize. Um, it talks about, you know, the taunting and, and mm. the... the crap they had to put up with. Yeah. yeah, I wanted to say that. I mean, uh, he would have been there to play football, not to, yeah. to punch on. Yeah. So it's probably a reason why that happened. It's, uh, yeah, it's an incredible legacy that these guys and every yeah. indigenous, indigenous player is leaving yeah. our, our game and we're so incredibly lucky to have uh, to have the these people in our game. Yes. And, um, mm. and to... Uh, recognise the amazing contribution that they've they've given from the very beginnings Absolutely. of the game. Mm. Yep, I feel lucky to talk about it too. Pre- predating, you know, the codification of the rules. Absolutely, as well. oh, yeah. yeah. We go back to talk about Mangrook and things like that. Yeah, yeah. 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 Hopefully, by talking about it, we can we can keep it going, and then maybe there'll be more to talk about in the future. Absolutely, yeah, absolutely. we can make we can make this a regular thing as well each year on NADOC Week. Love that. Not that we need a special day to talk about it. No, either. no. exactly. Um, but good to highlight. Yeah, things when we can. That's it. Yep. Um, I'd like to finish this episode with a quote from uh, Sir Doug Nichols. Please. As well. I love football. I love every moment of it. To me, football is more than a mere game. It is not only a wonderful recreation, but an inspiration and a mental and physical tonic. How I look forward to each Saturday. To me, the roar of the crowd is music. I revel in the tense atmosphere of the game and the preparations for it. So keen am I on a football that I'd go anywhere for a game. I'd play it in an open paddock if necessary, with a gum tree for a dressing room and pavilion. 
Once on the football field, I forget everything else. I'm playing football. I never take my eyes off that ball. My aim is not only to beat my opponent, but also to serve my side. I realise that in football, as in other things, it's teamwork that tells. Love that. What a beautiful way to end. Yeah. Well, hopefully... uh I hope, as you said at the start, Timmy, hopefully you've just learned about some players who you've never heard of. Yep. They, these aren't the names that are the most popular, the most recognisable that yep, we hear. Absolutely. So, uh, and hopefully we can continue these this amazing legacy well into the future. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Fantastic. So thanks for listening and enjoy Nadoc Week. Indeed. To find out more about the Kick to Kick team and the sources we use, visit our website, www.kicktokickpodcast.com. You can contact us via email at kicktokickpodcast at gmail.com or find us on Twitter and Instagram under at kicktokickpod. Thanks so much for listening.